Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. This episode is brought to you by Element Electrolytes. We know that salt, potassium, and magnesium are essential minerals, especially for those on carnivore, keto, and low-carb diets to relieve hunger, dizziness, cramps, headaches, and keep so many of your bodily processes running optimally, including sleep, brain and mental health, hormonal health, your heart, immunity, and more. Element Electrolytes are convenient, evidence-based, and delicious. My wife and I have been using Element for years every single day. They're great for fueling hard workouts, getting adapted and beating keto flu, fasting, traveling with them, and kickstarting your day with energy. They're used by Navy SEALs, Olympic weightlifters, jujitsu athletes, and everyday people who want to make themselves better, like you and me. They're also founded by superhero Rob Wolf. LMNT is offering free, that's right, free people, Element sample packs to Carnivore Cast listeners. All you have to do is pay for shipping. Go to drinklmnt.com slash carnivorecast to claim this awesome deal. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash carnivorecast, one word, and I'll include a link in the show notes. Laura Spath, at Laura E. Spath, and Judy Cho, at Nutrition with Judy, have both been on the podcast twice, and I'm so happy to have them both on together today. Please go check out their previous episodes if you haven't heard them already. I'll have links in the show notes. Laura and Judy are co-hosts of the Cutting Against the Grain podcast on YouTube and other podcast platforms, where they shine light and a wealth of knowledge on the carnivore community through a wide range of topics and interviews, including community, hormones, carbs and fats, troubleshooting real life, fasting, experts like Dr. Robert Siways, and much, much more. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, Scott. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, so... Uh, you you two are pros at this. I'm I'm not a pro at interviewing two people at the same time. So you're gonna have to help me out here. Um, whoever would like to go first, uh, what made you guys get together and start a podcast? It's all Judy's fault, and I'll let her. <laughs> she had been trying to convince me to do a podcast for a while, and um, I I mean, it's just I ended up being such a, a great mix for us. But Judy, I'll let uh, you share where the idea came from. So. Um, for any of the people that listen to the nutrition with Judy content, it's a lot of education and there's not a lot of, well, what does Judy think of all a lot of this stuff that's going on and just the behind the scenes, in my opinion, that type of stuff. And obviously our research into evidence-based stuff is opinionated for sure. And we'll, we'll have our own opinions, but a lot of the, well, what do you think about adding fruits back or carbs back to a carnivore diet? And a lot of those nuances that have come into play as the carnivore movement has grown, I didn't see a lot of that content, nor did I really have a platform to share that. So uh, Laura and I have been friends for a while now. Um, I've been doing carnivore for almost five years, and I think Laura has been for four. And we hooked up many years ago, and we essentially had a lot of conversations offline. And so, yeah, there was one time where I just asked her, I don't even know how it exactly came about, but it was basically, let's do a podcast. And um, it also just helped us stay in touch. And then 
shared a lot of what we thought behind the scenes. Like think of the water cooler at a corporate office where you get to just chatter about how did you think the meeting went? What did you think of the new email that went came out from corporate? And those types of conversations that we don't really get to discuss as a community outside of interviews and uh, posts and I guess YouTube videos, that's the kind of information we share on Cutting Against the Green. It's our opinions on what is going on in our community, in the keto community, and in the overall wellness community. And those were so many of the conversations that we were already having together just on the phone or in chat. And it was kind of like, well, let's just record those. And so (laughs) we have done a couple, I guess, interviews, if you want to call it, but we really try to just make it more of a discussion and, and even, you know, less interviewee when we do have those guests on, it's really more us just talking about like, what are the hot takes in carnivore currently, you know, when a year ago, when Judy was going through the whole vitamin A thing, and we were talking about liver, like it was a chance for us to just really talk about it and, um, kind of break other thing too, that it's great is like she said, everything that she shares on nutrition with Judy is this really great scientific educational information. And for somebody like me, who's not in the nutrition space, like that's a lot uh, to take in sometimes. And so we really try to break it down where she explains it more in like real world terms for me or simplifies it and kind of gives a little more context to things outside of the interviews um, that she's doing with experts. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest benefits that we have found for the community, and I don't think we really knew this going into it, but when we would share about a certain topic, let's say it's fasting or uh, liver consumption, and you know, I'll come from it from a science evidence-based and then my own thoughts of it from working with the community at large. And then Laura will share it from the real life experience, even what she experiences with her community. And so there's this balance of real life versus the evidence-based side. And that blend helps so many people to understand, well, what do we do with this information? How do we apply it to our real lives? And then what should we do with it? Should we apply it? Does it not make sense for us? And that's the discussion that I think most people that listen to our podcast finds beneficial. Yeah, I think I'll include myself in this, but most people see you two. Um, I, I certainly see you two as, as leaders in the community. And I'm often wondering, like, what would you think of, of this that happens or this topic. So I, I think that's fantastic. I think that's really needed. And um, I, I, I also, um, Judy, like to your point, Laura, Judy, your book, I recommend to so many people oh, um, who are who are struggling with the carnivore diet or um, trying the carnivore diet or want to um, reintroduce foods or troubleshoot gut issues. Um, and I think that's a fantastic resource. Um, but for people who are already in it and trying to stay up to date and trying to get, um, the latest, like you said, hot takes, or, um, just understand your, your interpretation or your opinion of some of these things. I think that's, that's fantastic the way you're doing it. Yeah. One of the things that's, I mean, we've actually gotten some, you know, feedback where people love the discussion side of it, but then there's also a, you know, a few people who've been saying like, well, you sound like you're contradicting yourselves in these discussions that you're having. And that's kind of the point. I mean, there's so, it's so hard to share nuance in an Instagram post or even like all of these one minute reels. I make one minute reels all the time, Mm, but you can't like share context and nuance inside of those reels. They're more just like quick takes. And so in these discussions, there are some people who should fast and there's some people who should not, and some people who should include fruit and some people who should not. And it's not contradicting ourselves. It's really just discussing all different elements and hopefully 
really digging into the nuance and the discussion where we have an hour where we can just kind of like discuss back and forth all the different things that are being said and our thoughts and what works for us and what works for people that, you know, Judy's worked with. And it it just gives so much more like actual real life discussion versus, you know, what you can share on a, on a quick post, um, or even like on a newsletter or a blog post, or even a, you know, a YouTube interview, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think one of the best examples would be the discussion on adding carbs and let's say, you know, there's people in the space that will say fruit's probably the safest one. And then we'll talk about that in detail. So if you read my Instagram post, it seems like I'm very black or white about fruit is not part of carnivore. And in context, that's true if you're doing a meat only carnivore diet. But if you actually listen to my content in depth, that's not my rule for everybody. And it's, it's, it really depends. So for example, I think with Laura, if she, it, I mean, Laura, you could speak for yourself. So I'll wait for that. But for me, for example, because I was pre-diabetic fruit is probably not the first uh, plant-based food that I would actually introduce. I may do some steamed greens or something like that. And obviously it's not for nutrient density, but just for variety and flexibility. I'm all supportive of that. But if you are lean and you're working out a lot and you have no food addictions, maybe fruit is one of the first ones that you can add back, but I would also be mindful of liver function as well as fructose load and things like that when you add back fruit. So there's all this nuance and context. And I know people want just a simple answer. Can I have fruit or not? And when I work with people and, and then just in my experience um, alone, it's just, it depends. And, and I think that's the power of this podcast is it gives you all the kind of lay of the land and then helps you to decide. It's not that um, one leader is wrong and another leader is right. It's more of, well, let's, let's dig into this conversation about adding fruit or honey or a conversation about carbs to your meat only diet. One, are you healed enough and you're ready enough to add that back Two, have you worked on your food addiction? So if a fruit uh, will lead to, um, it's like the gateway to another, a carbohydrate that maybe that's not the right food for you. And then all these discussions to then at the end of the podcast, the hope is that the person listening to it will have a better idea of is fruit right for me? And am I ready for it now? Rather than fruit is good or fruit is bad. Right. Yeah, I think that's so important. What are some of the other, I think the fruit um, and adding carbs is such such an important one. I'm really glad you you've tackled that. Um, what are some of the other um, controversial topics that you were really excited to dive in on um, when you started the podcast? Fasting was another big one. We've done a couple different episodes. We did an episode more on like what is fasting? How how do you fast? How do you, you know like who is it right for that type of thing? And then more recently, we really just did like kind of all of the fasting misinformation that's out there or bad advice, um, that's out in the community, you know, and, and dove into it where, you know, I'm not, not even bad advice, but all of the advice about carnivore and fasting that's out there. And then what are our thoughts around it, who it applies for and who it doesn't somebody, you know, Judy mentions she should not fast. It's been a lifesaver for me. There's just, you know, it so much depends on your background um, your weight, your health, you know, there's been different times for me in the last four years where fasting has been really beneficial. And there's also been times where I've pushed it a little too far and it's caused me some, um, it's been unhealthy for me. And so it's really not ever going to be this blanket statement of you should be fasting and you should be doing rolling 48s or you should never fast. You know, there's just, unfortunately there's too many blank statements 
that are out there. And that was one specific episode where we got a lot of feedback because there are people in this space who say there's zero benefit to fasting beyond 24 hours. Right. And then there's also people that are saying you should do rolling 48s on a regular basis. And, and we kind of disagree with both of those things. Uh, and there's a time and a place for, for all types of fasting, depending on your context. So that was another um, big one that we, we really dug into recently. Yeah, there's, there's just a lot of information that gets put out, whether it's dairy, right? So is dairy good for us? Should we have dairy? Dairy is insulogenic. So dairy will raise your blood sugar. And then there's how many meals should you have a day? Or, you know, how often should you fast? Should you be intermittent fasting? Well, what if you are, you know, having two meals a day, but then during the period, your, um, your window of eating is open. If you're grazing on meat snacks all day long, is that considered healthy eating? And we discussed those little nuances. And I personally don't think it is, even if it's meat-based snacks, I mean, it could continuously have your blood sugar, um, a little higher and uh, stimulate insulin, even if it's lesser than eating carbohydrates. And there's all these nuances again, that we brought up even with, uh, is it, ideal to be eating organ meats a lot or having higher macro days. So, you know, I think the popularity right now is that most people are leaning on lean proteins to lose weight on a carnivore diet. And what I've seen in my population of clients is that if people do lean protein too long, uh, maybe they could do one meal a day of a lean protein, but then the other meal, they have to have higher fat. And the primary reason that at least I believe is that if you are not getting your energy source from a carbohydrate or glucose, well, then the other recommendation is through fatty acids, either through ketones and other fatty acids. So if you lean on protein, then you're forcing your body to use a energy source such as uh, proteins and then breaking broken down into gluconeogenesis. That is not a ideal substrate for us to get energy. And I think long-term, the downstream effects in terms of hormone health and just satiety and long-term can I do this till I'm 80 years old is probably not realistic. So you may end up getting to a goal weight, but is it optimal health long-term? And that's where I think Laura and I, we try to give recommendations or our own input based on, can you do this until you're 80, 90 years old to be sustainable? Right. That's definitely, I think most of the time on social media and YouTube videos or posts, like we talk about what's ideal, like what's optimal, what's perfect what's the best way of doing everything, but we don't ever really talk about like, how does that mesh with real life? And while we know that eating perfect all the time, hundred percent perfect is most ideal. It's just not realistic. So even something like, what am I allowed to drink? You know, am I, we just did a whole episode on like, what's ideal, what's perfection, but also what's real life. And like, what's right. the best of the worst or what are some other options that um, could help in, in a lot of situations. And I think depending on your background and your relationship with food, using some things like drink, you know, a drink, um, that might have some artificial flavors or sweeteners in it might be a good bridge to keep you off of, um, you know, bad foods or carbs or ice cream or something, but otherwise it might be a trigger. So we kind of discuss a lot of that, like this has to be sustainable for you long-term. And then also your family. Um, we both have families who eat a variety, you know, kind of a lot of different things, whether it's strict carnivore or, um, more standard, you know, whole foods diet. And we have to be able to go visit family and go on vacation and travel and do all these different things of living our normal life where we can't just expect to be eating this perfect way, uh, every single time. Yeah. And I think one big differentiator we found, um, that may help 
you know, our, obviously our audiences are similar, Scott, but I think one big differentiator is understanding why you're coming to the carnivore diet. For a lot of people, there are, they're just standard care has not helped. They're just sick of being sick and they're tired of the medications. They're tired of, is it the corn? Is it the grains? Is it um, some type of food that they're trying to eliminate? And so carnivore becomes a, well, this is my last ditch effort. I really want to get better. I'm tired of being sick. So maybe this will help because it has helped Dr. Sean Baker. It has helped Michaela Peterson heal these crazy autoimmune illnesses. And I am willing to try this, but then there's another um, group of people that also try this meat only carnivore diet, which is what we kind of call the biohackers where it's really, Hey, we have optimal health. Sure. We have small things that we can heal, maybe a little bit better digestion. Maybe we can fix a little bit of eczema, but overall it's really about what can we do to maximize longevity? How can we live our best lives and optimize every single day to feel our best and do our best. And there, so those two groups of people are, I think are the bulk of the carnivore dieters. And if you think of that, their needs in on a daily basis of dietary recommendations for meat only is so different. And that's where I think the recommendations based on the influencer or the leader in the space that's giving that, you know, then the community should really think, okay, so I understand what this leader is telling me, but does it fit my own life and my own needs? And if it doesn't, maybe I should be a little bit more careful in the recommendations or what I decide to follow. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion is coming with, let's say, adding carbohydrates. For some people, especially the biohackers, I think they can absolutely do the carbohydrates. I don't think we have to do meat only long-term, but if you are insulin resistant, if you are diabetic, if you have a lot of the metabolic syndrome, if you're, if you struggle with obesity, those are the people that probably should not be adding carbohydrates for a very long time. And so we talk a lot about these nuances again on the podcast. A lot of people ask me about how to make liver more tasteful and how to cook it or incorporate other organ meats on carnivore. Optimal Carnivore can help you do just that with their grass-fed organ complex. It was created by carnivores for carnivores. They start by sourcing 100% grass-fed organ meats from New Zealand, gently freeze-drying the organs and encapsulating them into convenient bovine gelatin capsules. Just six of these capsules a day is the same as eating an ounce of raw organ meat. I personally take these every single day, as does my wife. Even though we both eat liver and other organ meats, Our ancestors would have eaten the whole animal, and this unique blend has nine different organs, including beef liver, brain, thymus, kidney, spleen, etc. And I think it's great to get a daily dose of these organs when you can. So it covers all your bases, whether you're at home or traveling. What's also cool is they plant a tree for every product sold, which helps the environment. So visit www.org optimalcarnivore.com slash carnivorecast and use the code carnivore10 to receive 10% off your purchase. Thanks and back to the show. Yeah, I think that's so well said. There is a lot of nuance and um, I'm going to take a slightly, um, I'm extremely, first of all, I'll say I'm extremely empathetic to people who are trying to get advice from an influencer and like the masses of people who are just looking for an answer and looking for a way to fix themselves and get better results, get better longevity, get better health. Um, But by the same token, um, to a certain extent, if you're getting cheap advice, like you should kind of expect cheap results, you know? Um, And like the reason um, like 
people like go to you, Judy, for, for like one-on-one work or someone else or a doctor or consult with some of these people is because it gets really complicated when you get down yes. to the individual level and people have specific needs and specific problems and conditions. And that's where like an Instagram post <laughs> can't solve your, your health problems. Um, right. Unfortunately, I wish it weren't this way. I wish more people could get healthy and get all the help they need for free easily. Um, but yeah, I think it's so important that there is a lot of nuance to that. Yeah. And definitely, I, it lets us discuss things more in depth there. And we try to do questions like, you know, we, cause we don't do a lot of interviews. We take more questions, um, from people and we can discuss those. Like people are asking you in the comments on an Instagram post, like you said, how do I get started or how do I heal myself? How do I fix this? You know, we can't, um, you can't really get into that or ask questions and it's not a good platform to do that. And so if people kind of write into us and, and leave a review with a question that gives us the opportunity to really dive in deeper, um, on the podcast and to be able to answer a few more things, you know, if somebody's not able to do a consult or, um, to pay for that. And, and we've actually even had that conversation on our podcast where we talked about how much of the ownership falls on the leaders that are putting yes. out content and to be mindful of, well, let me think of every single scenario of the type of person and the mm-hmm. type of content that will fit this. Or is it also up to the consumer uh, history and my illness? And then should I be taking this as fact? And And it is a difficult question because I brought up the example of how McDonald's was blamed for their supersized foods. And so they removed it, but it didn't reduce obesity at all. So at a certain point, you're right, Scott, I do think if you're getting your medical advice from social media posts, and we are not supposed to be doing that at all, but if that's where you're getting, this is going to be the perfect diet. um, There is some, I guess, sense of responsibility on the person. I completely agree. But I think where the confusion comes in the community is Literally, I will post something that says we don't need carbohydrates. It is better to actually use fat as the energy source. And then someone else in this space will say, we can't do ketogenic diets long-term. You need to add carbohydrates. So that's not really about, um, maybe I should be working one-on-one because those two are such disparate um, information. And so it's more of um, who should I listen to? And so that's where I guess the confusion really um, comes out. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm curious, uh, like one thing I think you both are great at, and I'm really excited that you've talked about this on the podcast and had episodes on it because I get it all the time from people. How do you deal with some of the real life circumstances of like, you both have families, you both have, you know, outside obligations. How do you make that work with carnivore? And like, what are some of the strategies or top tips you have for people? I think I, I travel a lot. You know, if you follow any of my content, you know, I travel most weeks for my job. I, you know, work full time outside of this. I try to do a little bit on social media, but for me, I know that I can't handle having any food that's not carnivore. Like I just can't handle the carbs. I, I have gotten to the point where I definitely treat it like an addiction and I know that I can't handle it. And so whether, you know, but I also can't handle like living this extremely rigid, perfect life all the time. And so I can't worry about fasting windows and my food and my macros and my, you know, no seed oils and my grass finished. Like it's just so many things that it's just overwhelming and it's unrealistic. So for me, 
sticking to carnivore food is my one non-negotiable thing. I can only focus on one non-negotiable thing at a time. And that to me is what I'm eating in terms of like no carbs, you know, eating meat. Um, and so if my, I like to have specific fasting schedules, but if I eat three times in one day, because I'm traveling and that's when I had access to food. Okay. I didn't break my, it was still all carnivore food. It was all meat. It was all something that I'm okay with. Um, if it was like a bunch of, you know, fatty stuff too many days in a row, like I just can only focus on one core thing at a time. Um, because otherwise I'll put too much pressure on myself, I guess. Like I try to not eat seed oils. It's a very, you know, important, I agree. Seed oils are really bad for you, but there are some times where I end up at a restaurant and like probably something that I'm eating is cooked in a seed oil somewhere. And it's just something that I have to live with because otherwise I'm going to obsess too much about what I'm eating. I'm going to not eat then, or I'm going to go off the rails and it's just going to cause me to kind of fall apart. And so you know, I think most people hear so much advice from online and they try to implement all of it at the exact same time. And it's so overwhelming. It's unrealistic. And so I think we have to work in these like one thing at a time, focus on your core thing. Other things are ideal. They're nice to have. It's nice to do a fasting window for me. It's nice to have no seed oils. It's like, but I also have to realize that this has to be sustainable for me long-term. And while I know I'm having no seed oils at home, if the only thing that I can eat in the moment is a chicken wing and I don't know what oil it's fried in, like I'll live, I guess is kind of my advice. That's yeah, the no. real life aspect of it for me. Yes. And I, I fully agree with that. So when I went to nutritional therapy school, everything was about pasture raised and grass finished. And I advocated for that a lot as well as raw milk. And I still am a fan more so of raw dairy than any pasteurized homogenized version. But then I also... What, what really challenged me were, were my clients. So after I saw hundreds of clients in the meat only carnivore space, and they tell me, well, I can't afford this and that type of meat or this and that type of dairy. I realized that either I'm going to make wellness something that is only for the people that can afford it. And I know people will make arguments of, well, they can prioritize them being able to afford it, but some families really just can't afford it. And so I, I made the decision that I'm going to make wellness for all. So for most people that are coming to a meat only diet, they can eat more economical variety of just maybe the conventional eggs, bacon, ground beef, and cheese from the grocery store, and they can tolerate it. And if the goal is really to lower the uh, blood work of diabetes and insulin markers, then that's an ideal way to do it. And then you can refine, you can get the higher quality sources if you can afford it. And if your body needs it. I have clients that cannot do any level of conventional dairy. I have some clients that can't eat certain types of meat cuts and has to be flash frozen right away and has to be grass finished. So I get the nuances, but I think that we have to make this realistic because a subset of my clients get really sick and then adding to their stress level of, I can't drink this type of water. I can't eat this type of meat. I got to reduce the PUFAs. I got to reduce the seed oils. I can't eat carbs um, in the day. And I got to hit the light in the morning when they start making their life about a bunch of steps and protocols, they are overwhelming their immune response to be just stressed out about everything. And that's where the carnivore community starts getting a bad rap of your, um, your, the, what you're advocating for is orthorexia where right. you can only be okay with a certain cut of meat or type of meat. Otherwise you're scared to go to a restaurant and drink their, uh, 
plastic cup water um, with a plastic straw and you're scared of this, however they cook the meat. And I, I wish that people can heal with the meat only diet and do it in a way that makes sense for you. But we should one, allow wellness for all where even the poorest of the poor can buy a five pound ground beef from Walmart and be able to eat that and still get better health than eating any of the packaged processed foods. And then from there, we can make it more feasible in a way of healing for however the person needs. Um, in terms of my own family, so my husband is not carnivore and my kids are meat-based, but they still eat carbs. So in the beginning to make it manageable for, for me, where I came from an eating disorder, I had a long, hard discussion with my husband of, Hey, I can't have you have certain trigger foods in the house. Otherwise it's going to make me struggle. So we came to an agreement that for a while he would not um, have those foods at the house. And that really helped me a lot as I transitioned to eating meat only. And, um, and he allowed me to lead the nutritional guidelines with my children. So I'm really thankful for that. And so as time passed, I mean, I'm almost at five years carnivore and there are days where I'll add a little bit of steamed veggies. If my kids are eating some, I'll have a small bite because I think true healing is being able to incorporate certain other foods. Um, and I mean, whole foods, not necessarily, you know, eating lucky charms or something like that, but being able to add other foods and being able to tolerate it. But even if you decide to eat meat only on most of your days, so to answer your original question, it's really figuring out your environment. Um, if you have people around you that are not supportive of your way of eating, then figuring out maybe they could remove some of the foods in your house. Um, and then if it comes to friends and coworkers and neighbors, it's just not sharing much about your diet. I think that's the best way to eat this way, especially as you transition and you get used to this way of eating and become more confident in it. Because the minute you really heal, you're not going to care what other people say. Yeah, I, I think that's so well said. And uh, I, I'm all for making this more accessible and uh, more achievable for people, because I know there are so many people in, in pain and uh, who, who are struggling. Um, what topics are you looking forward to tackling in the future or what are some things that, um, what are some plans you have for the growth of the podcast going forward? Um, you mentioned doing Q and A's. What are, what are other things you want to do with the platform? I think a lot of it is just kind of going where the community goes and seeing, you know, sometimes we have a couple ideas for the next few episodes worked out and then all of a sudden something happens in the community or the world. And we're like, Oh, right, we need to discuss that. Like we really need to talk about that. You know, we don't get political necessarily, but there has been a lot of talk about the rising meat prices lately. And so that's yeah. something, you know, and potential food shortages, like this is obviously about the carnivore community, but we're, it really, there's so many things that go on in the world that are affecting us. And, you know, it's important that as people who consume meat and are trying to live healthy lifestyles and, um, you know, have a healthy family, we have to be able to prepare for that and plan for it. So I know those are things we've gotten into recently. And I unfortunately think will continue to be topics that, um, need to be looked into kind of depending on where the world goes. But I think, you know, we love to just kind of have discussions on what's happening with health and, you know, what does the mainstream say about nutrition and how can we as carnivores and people who eat low carb, um, live a life within like what's, you know, being published as far as like the current guidelines, uh, and then really just kind of the, the nuances of how to maintain a healthy life. Like what's the 
I mean, obviously the community ebbs and flows right now. Everybody's doing this lean protein thing. The high fat thing was a while ago. Like there's different trends that happen within the community. And so we will always um, make sure that we're addressing those and kind of giving our perspective and some nuance with whatever trends we see happening. Yeah. Like recently we talked about how the, the FDA approved GMO cattle. And so we don't know much about it, but we talked, we did a part of an episode where we talked about, well, what does that mean for us? How can that affect us? And I was talking about how I'm concerned for the people that have the autoimmune illnesses where let's say they are the only meat they can tolerate is, um, cattle. And so if they start uh, I guess changing the DNA of these animals, will that affect us? And there are higher chances of more immune responses whenever they do that, especially with like the GMO salmon. And so the concern is, um, you know, what, what does this mean for our future? It, it'll probably kind of come about in about two years, but that's the type of stuff we've been talking about. We also talk about you know, for not for everybody, as more and more people are doing this way of eating, we find that not everyone can heal from it. And even I used to believe that meat only can fix everything. And I'm at a point where I don't think that anymore. So I think that it's the baseline diet that people need to try as the ultimate elimination diet, remove food as a trigger for your unwellness. So if you remove all the plant-based foods and um, a lot of the meat processed meats that may be affecting you, but if you just stick to foods that don't really cause an immune response, then you can figure out, is it really the food that's causing a lot of the ailments? And for most people, it is a lot of it, but there are some people that then need more support. And the only way you'll get to that point is if you do a meat only carnivore diet, uh, elimination diet, and then figure out, okay, well, I've gotten 50% better, but I'm still not fully better. And now I can dig deeper into other areas of illness. Maybe it's mold, maybe it's um, a biotoxin, maybe it's some other autoimmune illness that may need more support, but I still think carnivore meat only diet is the optimal way to start healing, but it can be for some people, it may not be the last puzzle they need, but it may be one of the pieces that they need to get to for their root cause healing. Yeah, that's so well said. That, that was exactly the case for me. Okay. Um, I, I had massive issues with digestion and um, my metabolic health and energy. Um, and a lot of that took, you know, three years of strict carnivore, um, to resolve. I, I mean, maybe it, it would have taken less, but I don't know. Three years of strict carnivore did it. <laughs> and right. then I was able to successfully, slowly and systematically reintroduce foods, um, and had a completely different response to those foods, mm -hmm. to what I did before doing carnivore. Um, and I, I credit a lot of that to, to, you know, eliminating pro uh, problematic foods from my diet, um, getting a better awareness of how foods affected me, mm -hmm. testing foods more intelligently. I think all of those can be incredibly helpful. And um, I think carnivore is a fantastic baseline for many people and um, a great a great diet for a lot of people for the long term. Uh, yes. But just like you said, I don't think it's a one size fits all for everyone. Right. And I think sometimes too, like you said, you, it took you three years of strict carnivore. And when somebody has been doing this for six weeks and they're just like <laughs> bored of eating meat yeah, and then they hear somebody saying you should eat carbs and you should eat fruit. They're like, well, that sounds a lot more interesting. And so, <laughs> you know, we're definitely not afraid to have these conversations to like tell people like, I mean, that's on you, you know, like that's, yeah. we have a lot of tough love conversations or some accountability where we're saying like, is that really the fault of that influencer who's been doing 
or that expert, whoever, who's been doing strict carnivore for three years and now they're introducing food and you're trying to skip that step. Like that's a crazy amount of time or based on their health conditions, they can handle those things. When sometimes those of us, myself, who um, needed to lose a massive amount of weight, still struggle with issues with food and carbs and can't handle moderation. Like I'm looking for an excuse to eat something that, you know, if, if somebody tells me that I'm allowed because it works for them, then I'm looking for that. So, you know, we really try to have a lot of those kind of tough love conversations as well. Um and just help people kind of look in the mirror and see like, what are you really ready for? And um, what is it that's right for you? Yeah. And I think that's where we really coined the real talk in our podcast, because like Laura said, we do bring up a lot of hard things. We talk about the fruit and we give that context of, okay, well, let's see who's talking about it. And from their stance, maybe they're metabolically healthy. Maybe they have no food addictions. And so for them, maybe it's okay, but that's where sometimes we bring up stuff and we bring it in context where some of the people, if you were able to get to a weight of maybe 250, 300 pounds, and you had struggles with obesity and food addiction and yo-yo dieting and years of insulin resistance, well, those people have to take an honest look at themselves and say, maybe I'm not ready for carbs. And maybe the sad truth is that maybe I'll never be at least the higher sugar versions of carbs. Maybe the potato will lead to I don't know, a casserole or the apple will lead to apple pie. But if we start really looking within ourselves, I think a lot of us can find the answer. And it's just easier to hear a doctor or somebody on the internet say, it's okay to drink orange juice. It's okay to eat fruit. Uh, it will support your thyroid health. And then it, it gives us this passive, oh, see, so-and-so doctor said I need to eat fruit. So therefore I am. And in that moment of, I guess, weakness or low motivation, it's easy to grab that thing. But a lot of people fast forward time, they'll fall into the slippery slope of, well, I first started with one fruit, then it became three, then I added it as a dessert. And then now I'm back to the standard American diet. And it takes them months to come out of that. And so I know people don't like doing the hard work because it's hard. Nothing is fun. That's hard. And we we are used to a society where it's instant gratification. But in our podcast, we delve into this of I know it's not fun to say that maybe you're not going to be ready for carbs for a year or two years or um, until you work on your relationship with food, but it's the hard discussions that maybe not everyone can get into in an Instagram post or a YouTube video, but it's the difficult discussions we need to have because ultimately Laura and I really want just people to get to optimal health and healing that we've experienced, but it wasn't easy to get here. And one big rule that Laura always brings up is consistency. Yeah. yeah. It's that's the part that's taken me for, I mean, I've been doing this four years and it's taken me 34 years to figure <laughs> that out. You know, like I haven't been able to, I'm not I'm 37, but I guess, you know, math's not my strong suit. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, that's really the hard part. And it's, it's a grieving process. Sometimes like you have to be able to look in the mirror and say like, I can't handle those foods because it just makes me want carbs and sugar and it kind of sends me on a spiral. And so I think that's definitely the, the big part of it. And just simply focusing on consistency has been the hardest and yet most, um, the biggest piece that's made helped make me successful the last four years. 
And it's not fun, right? It's not fun to say, you just have to do it for a long time and you have to be consistent. Obviously, there's also this like fine line between it's just not working and you're going to have to either change the macros or do something different. And that's where it gets really blurred up. And that's where probably people should work with people. It's how do you know that it's just, just not working or how do you know you have to keep going and then eventually it'll work out? And those are really difficult questions. And I do think, like you said, Scott, it makes sense to work with people at that point. But you know, I, I also don't think, and this is probably where we sound like we're contradicting ourselves, but I also don't think people should just use carnivore as a band-aid because people will say, I can only eat beef or I can only eat lamb and everything else makes me feel sick. But if good foods, as in you can um, chicken and pork, even the highest qualities or dairy is causing you to feel unwell, then I recommend digging deeper, whether it's gut supports, whether it's working on your limbic system, figuring out maybe your immune system is heightened and reducing that in ways, maybe you work with a therapist, but getting to the root cause of that, because ultimately none of us should be um, having to restrict good, wholesome foods. And if we just band-aid it with, well, I'm just going to eat beef for the rest of my life, or I'm just going to eat lamb for the rest of my life, because that's all I can tolerate. Well, then I think we're doing a disservice with carnivore because that's where carnivore becomes a band-aid. And I'm not for that as well. Yeah, I I agree. Um, And uh, we've skirted around the topic a little bit, um, but I do want to talk a little bit about organ meats. I think this is something that has been really um, like of all the things that go in and out of the limelight in carnivore, I feel like this is a constant (laughs) thing people are debating. Um, So I'd love to hear maybe Judy, if you could start a little bit about um, like how you think about organ meats, what your recommendations are around organ meats um, and like tying in the the awesome work you've done on on vitamin A. Yes. Uh, So I had clients that were getting unwell and we were doing a lot of hair mineral tests and I saw that their copper was really high. And then I also noticed that chromium was high, but I didn't notice that one as much. And then one of my clients brought up Garrett Smith, no, sorry, uh, Grant Jenneru's work. And then, um, and then also Dr. Garrett Smith. And I looked into their work and they brought up one of the foods that were really high in vitamin A and the toxicity levels of vitamin A and things like that. And then I noticed all of the things kind of lining together where if you consume too much liver and uh, specifically beef liver, because it's really high in copper. And so then I thought, well, maybe we should just move to chicken liver, but chicken liver does not have as much copper. That's true, but it still has a lot of vitamin A. And so as I dug into that, and this has not been proven in science in the sense of this theory that I'm about to bring up, but I noticed that people that are having thyroid issues, there's a, like a, I guess a profile, if you want to call it that, but they often eat just the grass finish. So they're eating leaner meats in general. They're mostly eating beef, which I blog post about how beef only long-term for carnivore is not ideal because you will be missing or having very few of certain nutrients. And then, and then they were eating a lot of liver. So at least one to two ounces a day. And then when I looked at the nutrient profile, there was just excess of vitamin A. And, and then when I presented this information about a year ago, I got a lot of heat about it because essentially people are, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm attacking the one food that is considered the Holy grail in our community. And I only shared it because I had enough clients that were getting unwell. And then when I spoke with Grant, uh, Jenneru, as well as Dr. Smith, they also had their own clients and not all of their clients are from carnivore. They have clients that have used Accutane and are really sick at the age of 18. And so Accutane converts into 
vitamin A in your system. And a lot of the retinoid products and Cheerios, like half a cup has, I don't know, like 40 or 50% of your vitamin A needs. So they believe that vitamin A, um, we are now poisoning ourselves with it. And most of it gets stored in our liver. And so I just, the part that I theorize is that a lot of the people that have left the pure meat only carnivore said that they are having issues with their thyroid function. And I wonder if, was it that they were eating too many, too much liver, which then attributed to excess vitamin A that had to get stored in the liver. And the thing is, um, beef liver and chicken liver, they have very, very minimal amounts of vitamin D, E, and K. And if fat soluble vitamins are supposed to balance, well, then where do you get the other ones? I get that you could get some of the sun and get vitamin D that way, but what about vitamin E and K? And again, those are limited in beef liver or chicken liver. So then other people will, well, then you can add salmon, but salmon sure has vitamin D and E, but what about vitamin A? They also have vitamin A. So it just got to a discussion of, well, your T4 converts to T3, a lot of it in the liver. And so are they having thyroid issues because they were taxing their liver with too much vitamin A, which would then get stored in their liver and then um, make it kind of toxic. Maybe they were having fatty liver from that. And then they weren't able to support their thyroid because one, their thyroid function wasn't, or I'm sorry, their liver function wasn't as well, but then also they weren't eating enough Fat, fatty cuts of meat that were supporting their hormones, which you need good hormone function in order to be able to support your thyroid. And so, yes, I shared all that information. A lot of people weren't happy about it. I still stand to that to this day. And then in addition to that, um, recently I've been looking more into gout. Uh, there's a lot of conversations about gout is not possible on a carnivore diet. That is absolutely not true because I have several clients that have had gout flares on a meat only carnivore diet. And the one just to make this really simple, but gout can be caused by certain things. The main one is fructose. Um, and it could even be from high amounts of fruits. Um, it could be from alcohol. Alcohol gets broken down very similarly similarly to sugars. And then the other thing is purines and purines are higher with uh, more DNA in the protein. And so organ meats, even sardines, small fish have a lot of your um, purines that then break down to uric acid. So my one particular client that kept having gout flares, the only one that he kept in, in all of that was the purines from organ meats. He was taking glandulars. So we removed that and he stopped getting as many flares. So the question is again, are we eating certain foods that again, in context for him, it was not a beneficial thing. If you don't have good liver function, if you have taken retinol in the past, if you ate a lot of cereals, grains, and dairy that are all fortified with vitamin A, and you've also been eating a lot of the beta carotene foods of carrots and sweet potato your whole life, you may want to just check on your liver function. And you may have to do um, an ultrasound to see if your liver is a little fatty and that can determine some of your vitamin A needs. But, you know, one thought I just want to leave everyone with is our nutrition facts at the very bottom of every packaged food has certain nutrients that are commonly um, deficient. And so they used to put vitamin A there a lot of times and same with vitamin C. Well, they recently in the last two years, they've removed that from the nutrient facts because they said vitamin A and C are almost never deficient anymore. Mm. So we tend to think that vitamin A is a high deficiency nutrient, but it actually isn't. 
so much so that the government has removed it from the packages. It's no longer required. And you guys can all look at the packaged foods and see that. So the question becomes, one of the major nutrients from liver is vitamin A. And are we taxing our thought that we need to liver harder? And that was the only nuance I wanted to bring up in this conversation. I do think it's interesting too, like when all of that came out, she obviously like anybody who advocates for liver was just kind of coming. It was just a rough time. So, uh, you know, like we ended up discussing that a lot, but they were kind of all coming back saying like, there's no way to overdose on liver. There's no such thing as vitamin A toxicity. Like this is hundred percent wrong. And if you've watched now, it's been about a year. A lot of the people who really advocate for liver are now saying like, well, it's really hard to uh, overdose on vitamin A. And it's really, you'd have to eat a lot of liver. And like, now the tune is changing and it's just been this incredible persistence and bravery from Judy of like being able to speak out about this and continue to share and people then doing their own research where it's not just about blindly believing Judy or blindly believing somebody else, but it's really then taking personal ownership and digging into it and looking at their own personal context. There's a lot of people who have now been healed by realizing that vitamin A was an issue for them. And there's other people that do perfectly fine on, um, on organs. But I do think you'll notice that a lot of the narratives have changed rather than it being, it's impossible to overdose on it. And it's totally fine. hundred percent safe all of the time to, well, most of the time and most people, and it's like, you know, good. Yeah. And that was, that was a little, that was a little disappointing when I first brought this out, I would have loved to have dialogue with some of the leaders in this space and say, here, let's both share our science, but instead the narrative became the only way you could get toxin uh, with vitamin A or liver is through polar bear liver. And I disputed that in a very well-researched video interview with Dr. Garrett Smith. And then I also put all the research in a blog post. And honestly, my, my heart has always been for the children. And I only move towards adults because I realize if I don't change the adults or Um, give advice about dietary benefits of meat through the parents, it'll never reach the children. And so I shifted nutrition with Judy to be for the adults. But when I looked into the liver stuff, there are upper limits for children and there's upper limits for all uh, several nutrients. And one of them for vitamin A, if you feed a child that's younger than three, even one ounce of liver a day, even half an ounce, they're above the upper limit. And for me, with my youngest child at the age of two and three, I kept feeding him liver pâtés. And I know that I may have put too much vitamin A in his system and, and our liver is not even fully developed until later on. So I just wanted to do a service for the parents that I kept recommending. You need to have liver pâté. You need to find some ways to get the liver in because it's so nutrient dense. And I imagine what if some of those children are getting poisoned indirectly because of my recommendations? And that was the main reason I brought it up. It wasn't about fear mongering. It wasn't about the clicks or the likes as some people thought it was truly, I, I genuinely felt bad that I recommended something for some people that can actually become a toxic load rather than a benefit for their system. And that's, that's the reason I brought it up. So like Laura said, it'll, it'll depend on the person Um, I think it's most beneficial to eat it in its food form. So if your body feels like it doesn't want to eat it, your body's probably telling you that it doesn't need the nutrients in liver. But I think when you take it in pills and other forms, you're bypassing your biofeedback from your body. And that's where it can get really scary. I think this is why you're such a powerful and leader in the space, Judy, and why I have so much respect for you is because 
you're incredibly empathetic, but also very knowledgeable and you construct your logic and your arguments, if you want to call them that, very carefully and thoughtfully. You don't just jump out and like say something or share an opinion. Like everything you suggest or recommend or have a perspective on, it always has so much support from it. Even like going back to like your first time posting all the infographics with like nutrient profiles um, of different carnivore foods, like from the start, that's always been something you've been amazing at. And I have so much gratitude for you for doing that um, because a lot of it is free information that's for everybody. Um, So thank you. you. Thank you. And I, I think honestly, the cutting against the brain podcast with Laura and just having a friendship with her. And she also helps me to put the content out in a more realistic way. And that will apply to most people. And I think it was through working with Laura and having this partnership where I was still very, very grass finished focused and pasture raised cage free, um, and, um, soy and egg, uh, and grain free or corn free. And then when, as I, you know, worked with Laura more and saw all the healing, just working and I guess talking with more of the people in the community, it opened my eyes of, you can do a lot of healing even without those types of food. So it's really just this whole community can really gather information from one another and make this diet a better diet that more people can lean on for hope and, um, the ability to heal. And I think when there are people in the space that say you can't do meat only long-term or you can't do keto long-term maybe for them, but that's not for everyone. And I would hate for people to come into a carnivore diet and, and not be able to try it because of these fears and concerns of your thyroid or your hormone. And Laura and I talk about this all the time, but if we had all this different information coming on board at carnivore, we would have never stuck this far. And we hope that this podcast will give that sort of balanced view of here's the topic. Here's what we think. Here's some of the science. Here's Laura's experience in her communities. And then here's what you should do or what you could think of. And then you decide ultimately on your own because meat only can work. Doesn't mean you have to do it forever, but know your situation. And then from there, figure out what will make you feel your best. And then can you do what you're doing until you're age 90? Yeah. I feel like that's your superpower too, Laura, is making this like so accessible and welcoming to people in a world that is very threatening and overwhelming right now with the information (laughs) overload. Um, Like sharing your story, like giving real insights into your life as like, you're a mom, you're a traveling, like working professional. Um, And like also easing people's fears about like, just some of the questions and paranoia that goes on in this space about like, am I doing this right? Um, So I'm really grateful for you as well for, for bringing that voice and helping so many people in that way. Thank you. Yeah. I hope people know that this can be simple and yes, there are people who are very sick and need really complicated healing elements of it. They need certain supplements and there's testing and stuff, but the majority of people, I think everybody should start simple, right? Keep it very simple. And then you can see where you're at. And then you get to a point where you only have to go deeper, but like your first week of carnivore, you shouldn't be like running all these tasks and worrying about your 47 step checklist. Like it's really just about like, let's start simple and realistic. And then, you know, some people are going to have to find um, more nuanced ways of healing, but I do think that it can just be so healing for so many people just starting off in the beginning. And I would hate for people to be scared away because they think they have to like 
spend a ton of money or it has to be very complicated or it's just confusing and overwhelming. And it's, you know, it's great that there's so much information out there right now, but it also can just be really confusing for people who are just starting. So I hope that they um, find information to start simple. Yes. Yeah. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you both so much for coming on. Um, Highly, highly recommend Cutting Against the Grain. Everyone should go listen, subscribe, leave them a review. Um, I'm loving the podcast. And thank you both just for being here and for being such powerful voices and leaders in the community. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. Thank you for your continued uh, movement with the Carnivore Cast. We really appreciate it. Of course. Um, And I'll have links, of course, to everything in the show notes, where you can find Judy, where you can find Laura, and where you can find their content and their podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered? Or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CarnivoreCast or go to CarnivoreCast.com. You can also email me at info at CarnivoreCast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.